Hi there, everyone, and welcome back to You Did Not Just Say That to Me. I'm your host, Brett Morningstone. And that's right, this is the show where insurance agents from across the country share with us the incredibly stupid things that their clients have said to them. Our three participants for this week's episode are Dave from Tampa, Bradley from Mobile, and Ryan from Troy. Dave from Tampa shares that his client said, and I quote, I forgot to call you and get that coverage for my business last month. I'm going to need to get that in place effective two weeks ago so I can file a claim. You did not just say that to me. Bradley from Mobile is very eager to share what their client said. And I quote, isn't that your job? I'm too busy to look up that information. Why don't you just call my agent and ask them to send it to you? Oh, you did not just say that to me. <laughs> and finally, Ryan from Troy says, my client actually said to me, I'm going to put my wife on the phone if you don't give me a better answer. Oh, you did not just say that to me. <laughs> there are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There is so much I wish I would have known before I made the freedom jump to the independent side. I mean, even now, I feel like I'm learning something new every single month. We're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with RiskWell. 17 months, man. It's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties. They're eager to share their stories and best practices with you. I'm your host, James Jenkins. Welcome to Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Episode two. Episode two. So we are into the actual content of the show. The intro is out of the way. For those of you that haven't heard it, it's probably a good place to start. Check out episode one, pilot and origin story. I'm your host, James Jenkins, and this is the Agency Freedom Podcast where we take you from captive to indie to market domination and whatever that looks like in your office. So in this episode, we are talking all about operations. Uh, as we talked about uh, in, in the pilot, for the first several episodes of this show, we are going to be dissecting the 12 major categories of running the agency. Uh, of the areas of concern of taking your agency from zero to, no, not hero, I'm not going to be so cliche to say that, but taking it from the very beginning and preparing your office for all of the different types and categories of challenges that you're going to have to actively plan for in order to succeed, to avoid unnecessary challenges and risk and also to capture as much opportunity as possible. So just as a review, a recap, the 12 areas are operational, social, technological, contractual, physical, innovational, financial, environmental, legal, regulatory, internal, and moral. And that's the second time I've given you the list, so I'm not gonna repeat myself every episode, but I did want to make it very clear 
exactly where we are going. I think people appreciate having a roadmap. So, before we dive into the content, uh, the obligatory request from any good podcast host, subscriptions and reviews are incredibly important. I don't know what platform you're listening on. AFP is distributed on uh, about a dozen different platforms, thanks to our friends at uh, the Agency Intelligence and Agency um, Intelligence Podcast Network, I should say. I'm not sure they're, they're in the middle of a rebrand right now. But anyways, it is incredibly important uh, that our freedom jumpers, uh, as I'm calling our, our crew, our posse, whatever you want to call yours, you know, the, the, the group of people that are regularly listening to Agency Freedom Podcast, I'm going to be calling you guys freedom jumpers because you've either already made your freedom jump or you are preparing to do that. So together, you and me, we are freedom jumpers. So for all my freedom jumpers out there, please subscribe. And obviously you're downloading because you're listening to this right now. I don't know if it's on Apple or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you choose to listen to your podcast. The review and the subscription is incredibly important to these platforms. It helps drive the algorithm. So um, each episode, I'm going to be very briefly saying, hey, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe and please drop that review uh, in there because it helps other people find us and, and just helps spread the word of the message of what we're doing here. So in this episode, operations and building out your framework for your office, we're going to just jump right into exactly what it looks like uh, for the operational framework of your agency. I'm going to do my very best to make this as interesting as possible. It, this stuff is not the the sexy part of uh, being a business owner. It's not uh, sales and marketing and talking about channel partners and driving uh, revenue on the top line and profit on the bottom line. This operations conversation really is kind of the, the paying your dues part of getting started because if you do your operational setup correctly, if you're very thoughtful in the way that you design the framework of your agency, of your systems, your processes, your people, your human resources. If you are doing all the setup with your tech stack uh, correctly, your AMS, your CRM, your ABCs and IOUs and all the alphabet soup and acronyms upon acronyms and acronyms for the acronyms. Welcome to insurance, right? If you are doing all of the preparation correctly, you are investing in your future and you are making it much more likely that you're going to be successful long term and that you'll be able to be a business owner and not just an insurance agent. One of the things that the captive world, the captive carriers that so many of us came from, one of the things that they get so wrong is they literally never talk about so many important areas of being a business owner. They have their toolbox, their done for you stuff, and they want you to focus on product knowledge and selling skills so you can sell more of their crap and make them more money. And at the end of the day, they really don't want you thinking like an independent business owner because then you start to ask questions. You start to see other options, other opportunities, other vendors, other things that you might like to be involved in that don't totally jive with the carrier, their systems, their vendor partners, their revenue sharing and kickbacks for whoever they're using. They don't want you asking all these operations questions. But one of the things you're going to find very quickly when you are preparing to make your freedom jump is the biggest challenge at the beginning is so much of this operations conversation, so much of your systems and processes and tech stack and organizational chart and way of doing business. What is your training? What does your onboarding look like? What does your hiring process look like? your pre-employment assessments, your personality testing. What do all these things look like when you're able to choose for yourself what each piece of the puzzle is? And it's not just handed to you in a box and says, here you go, here's your CRM, here you go, here's your website, here's your management system, here is your marketing toolbox, here's your brand, here's your intake. You, you know, everything from your, your client lifecycle, as we call it, is done already. You don't have a choice in any of it. But man, it is so important to get these operational things 
nailed down. And we're going to fly by this stuff on a pretty high level. Each one of these points is going to be uh, gone into at a, a much deeper level uh, later on. Some of these are going to have episodes of their own, uh, and some of them are just going to be discussed uh, in depth in pieces over the next you know months and years. So looking at it from a very high level, when I was preparing to leave the captive world and sell my farmer's agency and get ready to go, as an aside, one of the very first things that I did was join this group on Facebook. It is the uh, Insurance Agency Owners Association, or IAOA. If you look for it on Facebook, go ahead and join up. It'll be one of the best decisions you've ever made. I cannot tell you the value that I have personally experienced from being in that group. Uh, The agents across the country, the friends and colleagues that I have made, uh, the people that I consider to be uh, mentors and advisors uh, and and just fellow warriors in the trenches, building our agency, serving our clients, changing our industry, uh, evolving and innovating. IAOA is a great place to start. I highly recommend uh, that you join that group ASAP if you're not already there. A lot of you listening to this will already uh, be members there and have been for quite some time. So uh, for those of you that are, uh, glad you could be here, glad you're joining us uh, for this journey. So the the framework, the basic setup of your business is going to be essential. And shameless plug for the book, Traction, uh, you can check down in the description here, uh, as well as uh, when you are receiving the email uh, for our Freedom Jumpers uh, distribution list, you're going to get uh, a one-page handout with all the resources and URLs that we talk about in this episode. So make sure you visit riskwell.com slash podcast and sign up for our Freedom Jumpers uh, distribution list. And we'll send that straight to your inbox every Friday, right along with the release of the episode. So uh, go ahead and sign up at riskwell.com slash podcast. That way, uh, the, the stuff that nobody ever looks at is the show notes on these podcast episodes. We made a decision to not really do show notes like uh, a lot of podcasts do because uh, we really saw that no one looks at the show notes. Uh, people appreciate uh, having something delivered to their inbox, to uh, their text message where they can download something fast and easy, but nobody really reads the show notes. So you're not going to get any show notes in um, AFP, Agency Freedom Podcast. It's not really going to be something that we spend any time and energy on. So anyways, the book Traction as part of the EOS, the Entrepreneur's Operating System, and uh, Gina Wickman uh, is one of the authors of that book. There's five books to go in to the EOS. There are uh, five books that kind of build on each other. Uh, I, I don't remember all of the names of them off the top of my head. I know that Rocket Fuel is, is one of them, uh, one of the other ones, and there's a total of five books anyways. The Traction book is kind of the first structural book that I read as I was getting my new agency, my independent office, Riskwell, off the ground. And the Traction book really does a fantastic job of breaking down the entirety of your agency, of your business, into three very distinct components. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the operations component which is the first of those three. And operations as a a category includes quite a lot of stuff. I mean, all the way from your your basic systems and processes to how you train and onboard your people to your tech stack, to your human resources, your administrative uh, stuff, your org chart. All of those things fall inside of the operations um, silo of the business. So operations is first. And second is accounting and finance. This is probably the area where captive agents are the most deficient simply because most captive agents are not even thinking along these lines. They're not really business owners. They're insurance agents. And I don't say that as an insult. I I say that as an admission admission of guilt because I was right there with you. You know, I, I kept my eye on the folio, we called it at Farmers, uh, it's basically your running uh, production report, your commission report that updates. It's usually three to five days behind whatever the actual day is 
But you pay close attention to the folio and how much money you're making. And most agents uh, don't pay much attention to the other components of your uh, accounting and finance. Most agents have no idea how to correctly read a balance sheet or an income statement or an expense statement. Uh, they don't know what a, you know, a good profit and loss is. They're not aware of industry best practices and benchmarks uh, based on your size and premium size and revenue, your mix of, of line of business. What's your revenue per team member? What's your profit per team member? What is your overhead? What's the breakdown by category of your overhead? Where does your money go? How do you make decisions for budgeting, for strategic planning, for deploying your capital for maximum gain? Do you know what your most effective uh, lead sources are? Who is your best channel partner? Which one of your different channels of getting business in the door is, is best, is most profitable? Uh, net operating income, NOI, to use a common business term, that's not something anyone really pays close attention to. Which one of your lead sources is best? Is it direct mail? Is it social media? Is it buying internet leads? Probably not, spoiler alert. Is it driving traffic to your uh, landing page on your website or your YouTube channel? Is it a channel partner or a collection of channel partners? Is it your local activity, sponsoring your local events, um, doing something with the uh, you know philanthropic stuff in your area, the chamber of commerce? Where does your money go? And what are you doing that is most effective? You know, tracking the accounting, the, uh, the finance side of things and having a deep understanding of all of the ins and outs of your money, that is just incredibly important. And most of us leaving the captive world, and especially uh, at the beginning of the independent journey, are woefully inadequate and unprepared for what is required of us to be successful. So gaining that knowledge, that basic understanding, for us, for me, and it took me two years to get it right, uh, recently I made the decision to outsource my financial literacy uh, to a certain extent. We made the decision to uh, engage with a fractional CFO that has the uh, experience and knowledge in the insurance industry to advise me in the areas that I am not strong in. And just to pause for a second and double click on that one thing, there are two basic schools of thought when it comes to strengths and weaknesses. The, the first one is basically that you should identify the things you're not good at and seek to get better at those things. A lot of people subscribe to that way of thinking, that you need to make sure your weaknesses stop being weaknesses. And I think the second option, the second way of thinking is much more effective, a much better use of your time. Identify your weaknesses and your strengths. Figure out what you're really, really good at. Figure out what you're not good at or that doesn't interest you in some way. Figure out where those buckets are. And then the bucket of things that you're not good at, you have three choices. You either train up someone else in your team and delegate it to them. You can outsource it to someone else, like a third-party uh, fractional CFO, your accountant, your financial advisor, your banker, etc. If there is an opportunity to outsource something that you are not good at, uh, then that's a great option as well. The third option is avoidance. You know, structure your business in such a way that the impact of your weakness becomes less obvious, becomes less of a threat. Mitigate that risk. So those are basically it. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan, big fan of find your strengths and double down on your strengths. Spend as much time and energy as you can leveraging your unique skill set, your unique personality, your disposition, the things that you enjoy doing and enjoy talking about. Do those things yourself. And the things that you either don't enjoy or aren't good at at all, then either hire for them or outsource it or in some way structure your business to avoid and mitigate the impact. Just as an aside, I think that's a, a good rabbit trail to go down for just a second uh, because that really is, is a, a critical importance thing. And you know what? The bell just rang and that tells me that I've spent too long on this topic. So I am going to go ahead and get back on topic. 
I love these sound effects. I'm I'm going to play with them a little bit from time to time to add some flavor. Uh, I just as an aside, the Rodecaster Pro is the board that I'm using for uh, receiving the audio feed and, and doing some of these little uh, you know sound effect things. The the music at the beginning of this episode, as well as um, lots of things. So whether you like those sound effects, yes, or you're not a huge fan of them, no then, I mean, really, it's up to you. And if you want to boo me, then that's totally okay as well. That's, that's your call. Um, but I'm going to be trying to make this as dynamic as possible. And okay, back on topic. So moving forward on the operations conversation, specifically in traction, the third component, first one is operations, second one is accounting and finance. The third one is what most people think of as the fun stuff, the sexy, the flashy part of running a business of owning an insurance agency. It is the sales and marketing component. We're not going to talk too much about that this time because my gosh, it is an absolute rabbit trail. It is something that we could spend a very, very long time, many episodes talking about all the different ways uh, that sales and marketing needs to be unpacked and deployed in your agency. And rest assured, most of what we talk about in, in this podcast is going to be in some way uh, related to sales, marketing, branding. Uh, the operation stuff is something we need to talk about because it's important, um, but there's not nearly as much to flesh out on the ops and the accounting and finance side as there is on the sales and marketing side. So that is the third component. I'm going to let that one rest for just a little bit there. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to sales and marketing uh, at uh, a later date. So moving now into digging into the operations side of things in a little bit more detail. One of the very important things that you're going to have to figure out at the beginning of your process of going through and, and digging in to all the details and asking yourself the hard questions. What kind of business owner do I want to be? What kind of agency do I want to, to operate? One of the very critical things that you're going to need to figure out is what does your client life cycle look like? From the initial point of contact, what does it look like when someone interacts with your office, with your team? Where do they interact? Is it on your website? Are they watching a video? Are they listening to some piece of content that you've created? Are they reading something on a screen? Probably not. Most people prefer to watch something rather than to read a block of text. But from that introductory point, are they going to find you on Google? Are they going to be referred to you more likely? Are you getting your inbound traffic from a paid source like um, paid-per-click advertising on Google or Facebook, driving traffic to a landing page and trying to get someone to engage with you? Are, are you doing local events where you are face-to-face -face with your, your prospect as the initial point of contact face-to-face? -face. Now, as I record this in May of 2021, face-to-face uh, -face has not yet come back as any sort of primary um, engagement simply because of COVID being what it is and people are still not uh, fully engaged with face-to-face uh, -face contact. But, you know, down the road, you know, six months from now, a year from now, once people uh, become fully comfortable with being out and about again, the, the live event, the face-to-face -face introductory content, uh, contact, I should say, is going to be a thing. It, it is definitely going to be something that you need to have in your toolbox uh, as uh, as something you can draw from, the face-to-face -face contact. We're not going to be able to hide behind a Zoom call and a keyboard for too much longer. So figuring out the client lifecycle from that introductory point and asking yourself, what does it look like to gather the information, the fact-finding, the discovery call, as we call it at RiskWell? How are we going to gather the information from our prospect? And once we gather it, what does it look like? Where is the data going? How are we capturing, cataloging, archiving, utilizing that data? What are we doing with it once we have it? You're going to need for personal lines, in my opinion, the, the three or four critical things you're going to have to have just across the board. Uh, but personal lines, is, um, comparative rater is really for personal lines, unless you are utilizing Tarmica or SEMC for the small commercial. Uh, I'm not yet a subscriber. 
uh, with Tarmica, but I absolutely will be. Uh, we There's a few reasons we'll get into later why I haven't yet signed up. But the comparative rater is something that the captive agent is not at all familiar with because they only have one flavor of ice cream in the captive world. When you are an independent agent, you have the option, the flexibility of writing with so many different companies. And the best way to get these companies into your system, to, to get rates from all these different companies is to plug in the data to a comparative rater, which will then solicit bids, introductory bids from all the companies. And then we'll spit out an indication for the line of business. Typically, it's home and auto is where most of the comparative rater comes in. But we also have, um, you know, sometimes there's flood uh, and some raters have other things that they're able to deliver. But for the most part, it's home and auto. So we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about the comparative rater in detail on a later episode. Um, but for those of you that are not yet in the independent side, that's something that will be a con completely foreign concept to you, the idea of a comparative rater. The, the second thing that is really just an across the board you absolutely must have is an agency management system. And a lot of people don't have it the way that they should. Uh, a lot of people are not adequately utilizing the resources of their agency management system correctly. Uh, in my opinion, that, that is definitely an area of potential improvement for so many people in our industry. And as recently as several months ago, I was one of them who wasn't utilizing the data, the capabilities, the power of the management system uh, to its full effect. Uh, there is so much we can go into on utilizing the AMS. Uh, but think of it basically as the permanent home for your data. Uh, all of the files in your accounts, the tasks, the service requests, the emails, the recorded phone calls, the client data for you know, policies, the accounting side of things, commission reconciliation for uh, people on your team receiving payroll uh, and their you know, producers receiving commissions. There's a million things that goes into the management system uh, that we don't have specific time to go into today on this episode, but we will in future episodes, you know, more shop talk, nuts and bolts focused stuff in the future once we get done with these high level conversations. The third component is going to be your CRM, your uh, client relationship manager. Uh, CRM pairs with the AMS, the management system, very nicely in that the CRM typically is the home for all of the communication the sales pipeline, the marketing automation um, type of interactions with your insured. This is where the active engagement, specifically during the sales cycle and other interactions like the service process, the claims process uh, are going to occur. Uh, the CRM in some ways has overlap with the management system, but in a lot of ways it pairs up very nicely and the two together create a fully cohesive experience for both your office as well as your prospect and client. So when we proceed through the client lifecycle, we start with the intro, then we go through the sales process, point of sale, you know, the working phase, the quote or recommendation delivered phase, the yes, I want it, let's bind this thing, and great. Let's move on now to what we in our office call post-binding obligations or, you know, just clean up in general. We're getting signatures. We're getting documentation for discounts. We're getting cancellations of the old policies from the previous office. Basically wrapping up the new file and putting a bow on top before you put it on the shelf and move on to the next thing. You need to put some thought into how you're going to set this up. What are your core processes? How are you going to document your files, uh, retain your quotes, retain the policy documents, the signature documents from your carriers? What are you contractually required to retain on hand by your carriers for a period of time, you know, two years, five years, seven years, whatever? All of your carrier appointments are going to have certain uh, retention requirements for signed documents. So make sure you're aware of them so you don't find yourself in a a nasty audit situation sometime on down the line where carrier X, you know, Safeco, Travelers, Chubb, whatever, comes to you and says, we need to conduct an audit of your files. Please send me everything for these 12 random accounts. And if you don't have your signatures, 
and all of your documents and ducks in a row, then you're going to have a problem with that carrier. If you're knowing ahead of time and you're setting up your core processes and your, your document um, guidelines, then you're going to be able to keep a better eye on everything and really knock out potential problems in the future before they become problems. So once we get through the entire point of sale, we then have three remaining components in the client lifecycle. And those are service claims and uh, future management, you know, future stewardship of the account, the remarketing process. You really need to put a lot of thought and care and concern into how you're going to set up and manage your service side of the house. The policy changes, the third-party request, the updates, and how are you going to handle that from a manpower standpoint? Are you going to have local team members in your office that are conducting this work for you? Are you going to engage with remote team members or uh, offshore virtual assistant companies? Uh, the VA conversation is definitely a rabbit hole uh, that we do not have time for today. We'll have a, a full conversation on VAs in a future episode. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. Uh, the, the nuts and bolts, the why, the how of making a selection of do I need a VA? If I do, what sort of thing do I need them to be doing? Do they have to be licensed or not? Spoiler alert, most of the time they don't need to be licensed. Do I want them to be interacting with the client, the prospect, or do I want them to be fully back office, behind the scenes, administrative, clerical, uh, supporting you in the quoting, the sales cycle. There's a whole lot of stuff we can get into about VAs, but specifically with this conversation, building out your client life cycle, service, claims, and remarketing are where the things kind of fall apart. Too often, we as as agency people, as owners, as sales professionals, we get so stuck on the winning of the new account. We talk about sales and marketing and how do I close this person and do you have a market for such and such risk? The very simple reality is that outside of the first couple of years, the extreme majority of your revenue, of your profit, is going to be predicated on your ability to keep those people happy for a long time. I don't have hard data in front of me, so don't fact check me on this. But I remember reading uh, in, in one of these you know, associations or journals or something, if it was um, the IIABA or Rough Notes or whatever, I forget exactly what it was, uh, that said the uh, customer acquisition cost is like 500% more than the customer retention cost. Once you have someone in your office, if you manage and steward the relationship correctly and make sure that you're keeping them happy, you deliver a good service experience, you proactively engage with them during and after the claim event. If you are stewarding the renewal program uh, well, if you are communicating actively throughout the process, if you're giving them the warm fuzzies, if you're delivering the value add services during the policy period, then you're going to be able to maintain the relationship and make it very difficult for someone else to come and take them away, especially if your talking points are dialed in and you are setting expectations ahead of time of, look, XYZ agent down the street has access to very similar policy products that we do. What we deliver to you, Mr. and Mrs. Client, the risk well difference at my office is entirely based on the experience. 
How does it make them feel when they interact with your agency? How does it make them feel on a, a human, a visceral level when they have to call, text, email you, when they have to ask you for something, when they need a favor, when they have a question? How fast are you to respond? How do you build out your agency, your structures, your platforms to make it as easy as possible for you and your people to focus as much energy as possible on engaging with your clients on a human level? These operations conversations, all of these things that we're talking about here, they're all the, the required ingredients so that you can do the fun stuff. You got to pay your dues so you can get in and have the most enjoyment with the fun stuff. I mean, do I want to just skip all of this operation conversation? Yes. I mean, I might be in, you know, tempted to skip over this stuff and get to the, the fun part, the sales and marketing and you know, going to events and lunches and closing deals and cashing checks and making money. But you have to have all of this other stuff, these, the nuts and bolts. And I need to find new ways to say that because I've said nuts and bolts like 20 times in this episode. I got to, you know, find some new synonyms for things. But you get the idea. If we have our framework in place and we are following the framework, we are freeing ourselves up to get to do the fun stuff, to enjoy the training with our team, to help build into our producers, our CSRs, relationship managers, whatever you call them, business development people to get in and just enjoy the meat and potatoes of the relationship. The, the biggest challenge, just to um, move to the next topic now, the biggest challenge you're going to face as a captive coming into the independent world is realizing that you now have unlimited freedom, absolutely unlimited freedom. You are free to select Literally, whatever you want, every vendor is now available to you. Every system, every platform is now available to you. The problem is every system is available to you. And my gosh, there is some massive time suck conversations out there. Uh, there are so many different ways that you as a business owner can waste your time. And one of the things that I would very strongly encourage everyone listening to this to think about as early as possible is the time value of money. If you're measuring stuff, measuring buying decisions, measuring vendor selection, system, process, build out, tech stack, all of the above. If you're making decisions based on time value of money, not just the dollar cost up front. There's so many different ways to cost yourself money. Think about it from the perspective of what we talk about with our clients, the total cost of risk. There are so many different components that contribute to both the direct and indirect cost of whatever you're doing. Every decision you make, every moment that you spend, whatever you're doing, Listening to this podcast right now, to get existential for a second, listening to this podcast right now means that you're choosing to not listen to any other podcast at this moment in time in your life. One, that puts a tremendous burden on me to be worth your time. As I'm sitting here at my desk with these headphones on, speaking into this microphone, sitting in an office in McKinney, Texas, I am in your ear in your car, sitting in your living room, while you're sipping a beverage or you're in your office or this is your me time. You're, you're choosing to spend time with me and that has value. In the same way, every action that you take in your office, in your agency, with your team, every action has monetary value because it is your time. We only have 168 hours every week. You think about it, 24 times 7. In those 168 hours, you've got to eat and sleep and spend time with your family and indulge in whatever your version of pleasure is, uh, whatever your hobbies are, whatever the ways that you like to spend your time, spend your money. We obviously have a lot of work to be done in those 168 hours. When you divide your average number of work hours 
into the average number of weeks that you work. For most people, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 weeks. Hopefully, you get to take a vacation uh, at some point this year. And obviously, holiday time at the end of the year. So 50 is kind of the number. If you work an average of, let's say, 45 hours a week. So let's do some very simple math here. You got 50 times 45. So you have 2250. That's 2,250 hours that you are working. And let's say your revenue, for instance, and I don't mind being totally transparent here, my revenue at Riskwell last year, we did um, 1.85 million in new business and we had great renewals. We were about 97% of retention on our renewals. As an office, we did about $370,000. So um, divide that 370 into 2250. So $370,000, divide that by 2250, it's $164 an hour that our office was worth last year. So then it becomes very critical for me as the leader of my team, for you as a leader of your team, asking yourself the very simple question. Are we as a team, as an office, are we doing work right now that's worth $164? Because I really truly think, my friends, if you build out your time, your effort, your energy, your activity during your week, during your day, with the mindset of, am I doing the best possible thing right now? Are you doing entry-level labor? Are you, as the owner of the business, are you doing $15 an hour labor? Or are you doing $200 an hour labor? Are you functioning as the executive in your company? Or are you doing something that you should be delegating or outsourcing to someone else on your team? When we build out these systems and hurdles and have this operational conversation, it is absolutely essential that we are thinking about this from the perspective of uh, time value of money. And the simple fact is that time itself has a monetary value. So when we are stuck on dollars and cents, and I realize at the beginning of a new office, especially early in the independent career, the Actual dollars are very important because if you sold a captive agency and you had some sort of seed capital to launch your independent venture, obviously you're going to have a little bit of extra flexibility with your cash flow and how you spend your money. But a lot of people don't have that luxury. You might be coming in scratch or you may be coming from a producer or a sales position in the captive world. Uh, You may be listening to this and you've been in the indie world for a couple of years Hopefully you have a little bit of cash flow and you're not completely strapped and forced to make a decision based on actual monetary direct cost. The faster that you can get to thinking of things in terms of time value of money and realizing that our minutes and hours are the true currency, that the dollars are just representation of purchasing power. Our true currency is how we spend our time. And that is really the impetus, the, the inspiration for this whole operations conversation. Because the more efficient you get with each component of the, the conversation, from the client lifecycle to your tech stack to your staffing, all of these things really lend themselves to create greater effectiveness and greater efficiency in your office. You get to recapture more of your time you get to increase the value of your minutes and hours and get more from each minute, get more from your team's time, create more profit with less effort. That's really what we're going after here. So to revisit the hurdle of determining your systems and platforms and avoiding what I call the shiny stuff syndrome or squirrel syndrome, if you want to call it that. Uh, my, my friend and colleague, David Carruthers, refers to it as the shiny object syndrome, which uh, I don't think there's a, it's a little bit of ironic uh, things there that uh, SOS, uh, you know, hey, let's pop a flare. It's an SOS. Shiny object syndrome really should be an SOS to you because it's a great way to waste a bunch of time. So being disciplined enough to follow the plan, to select the critical items and not get drawn off sides by the newest, flashiest thing. If you're going to do that, be intentional with it. Set aside shiny object syndrome time 
and build it into your calendar. You know, block it into your activities so you know ahead of time, I'm going to spend this 30 minutes researching uh, new potential vendors or, you know, new things that I might want to add to the agency. But anyways, beyond that, you really need to avoid the shiny stuff syndrome or else, my gosh, it's just a huge waste of time. So the last thing that we're going to get into uh, as we uh, head towards the finish line in this episode is talking about, uh, just in a very general sense, your staffing. One of the things that they go into in EOS, the Entrepreneur's Operating System, and I have 100% adopted this, is the importance of laying out your, oh, sorry, I forgot my little uh, topic change, little sound effect there. I kind of like that. Yeah, so it helps me realize when, uh, all right, it's on to the next thing. We've been talking about this too much. So when we have the the right people sitting in the right seats on the bus, we're going to be most effective. And the concept of the right people, but the, or the right person, but the wrong seat, or we've got the wrong person in the right seat, or obviously the worst, we made a bad hire and this person is in the wrong seats. We've got wrong person plus wrong seat equals, come on, get them out of there. They're just making everything worse. When you have the staffing conversation, when you think about it from the perspective of the role not the person. Because as humans, we allow and just naturally the emotional entanglements become a real thing. They become a a, a real challenge to cloud the judgment. And when we are making staffing and team member and role decisions based on a human being, our judgment is fundamentally flawed. I would very much encourage you instead to think along these lines as a role. If you look at it from the perspective of this is the organizational chart of my business, I recommend we look at it from years down the line, 10, 15, 20 years from now. What does your ideal business look like? What does your org chart look like 20 years from now? How do you want your team structured 20 years from now? How do you want your silos to be broken down? For RiskWell, for the way that we will be 20 years from now, it's going to be pods of three people. Each pod is going to be basically self-contained and work within a department. And the three departments for RiskWell is, uh, of course, personal lines, which everybody knows, commercial lines, which most people know. And we have broken out real estate investor insurance, or REI as we call it, as its own vertical. It is fully separate from commercial and from personal because the needs of a real estate investor are very different from the needs of a traditional business owner, someone who you know, owns a doctor's office, you know, a practicing physician, or an attorney, landscaper, uh, someone who owns a, a retail business, etc. The needs of the real estate investor are fundamentally different from the needs of a traditional business owner and you know John Smith, the personal insurance buyer for his home, his personal auto, his umbrella, maybe a, a toy of some kind, pop-up camper, motorcycle, whatever. Our staffing for each of these three verticals is very specific. It is the producer, the what we call at my office, the risk advisor, who is the first point of contact. They are the person who is doing the selling They're the one who is uh, making the introductory call, running discovery, running fact-finding, and then they turn over this data over to the relationship manager who runs it through our system, our proprietary way of doing business. They run the numbers. They look at the options. They work collaboratively with the risk advisor and then hand it back to the risk advisor so they can close the business and get the yes from the prospect. And then once that happens, the risk advisor says, all right, got the yes, here's the billing information. They hand it back to the relationship manager who does the wrap-up, puts the bow on the file, sets expectations for the renewal, uh, the service, the claims. They ask for the referral. They ask for the Google review. And then, boom, magically, file's done, on to the next thing, let's carry on. The third person is going to be the marketer, the business development person. The marketer, the business development person is not responsible for closing anything. They are responsible for creating opportunities for the risk advisor and the relationship manager in traditional language, the producer and the CSR to do their thing. The marketer, the business development person is uh, scheduling meetings 
They are scheduling opportunities for the producer to go in and talk to someone. They are signing up for, you know, local live events. Uh, they are visiting the Chamber of Commerce on behalf of the office. They are out in and about. They are sponsoring golf tournaments. They are in some way engaging and creating these opportunities for the producer in CSR. So that's basically how we are structured. We have those three people on the sales and marketing side of things, the service, claims, remarketing, et cetera. And then on the administrative side, we would have uh, a director of operations, office manager type person. We've already talked about very briefly that for Riskwell, I hired a fractional uh, CFO, an outside person. So uh, that CFO, the accounting and finance seat, um, eventually we will have that be an in-house person. There will be a controller, someone who is responsible for the accounting and finance function, who leads that team. And then from an operations standpoint, of course, the director of operations, the office manager, the uh, what we call the director of happiness, the front desk person who's responsible for managing inbound communication and assisting uh, with administrative uh, and sales support tasks in a more holistic fashion. So having the conversation on the org chart is really critical. Figuring out what it looks like for you in an ideal sense, operationally, what is my perfect setup? What are the right people in the right seats look like? What are the right seats for your office and how you want to run your office? And right along with that, I got to go very quickly here because we are uh, running into the time that I wanted it to be. Out the door is always going to be the target of, of an hour. Honestly, this whole monologue thing, um, you know, me talking and you listening without there being any guests or interview, um, I'm kind of surprised we've gone 49 minutes now. Uh, this, this has been hopefully uh, useful for you. The idea of someone listening to me talk for an hour straight is kind of crazy. It's a bit of a head job, honestly. Um, but if you're still listening right now, I guess it means that I'm doing a good enough job delivering uh, meaningful value and good content. So we're just going to keep on pressing. I wanted you to know that you know, we're always shooting for no more than an hour on these episodes because you got stuff to do. You got places to go and, and you know people to see. And the idea of someone listening to this episode you know, chopped up into eight pieces because they're you know driving five minutes from here to there uh, that's a little bit disjointed, so I, I, I want to be as concise as possible uh, with these episodes. So as we wrap up here, I'm going to talk about uh, pre-employment assessments for just a moment, and then I'm going to give you five specific actions you must complete before taking your freedom jump. And if you've already uh, made your freedom jump, then uh, I think you really need to take these five steps immediately if you haven't already. So the last thing we're going to talk about, uh, bear with me for just a second needed to pour some water down the old throat there, was um, pre-employment assessments, figuring out ahead of time, does this person fit the right people, right seats? If you're not doing some sort of pre-employment assessment, uh, Myers-Briggs, the DISC, Finder, Enneagram, etc., you're really going to be putting yourself at a disadvantage in the hiring process. Um, I pulled up the Enneagram, my Enneagram, for just a moment. And it's broken up into uh, nine big categories. I won't go into the Enneagram in particular, but I'm just pulling this up from a very high level perspective so you can see the value of pre-employment. When If someone's trying to hire me and they run me through the Enneagram, they're going to see that I am a type eight, uh, which depending on who you, who you talk to, it's either going to be uh, the challenger or uh, what is the other one? Hold on just a second here the maverick, either the maverick or the challenger, one of the others is what we're looking at. But when you look at it, the Enneagram is great because it tells you when someone is at their best, what they're going to be doing. Uh, and then when someone is at their worst, what sort of, of damage, what sort of challenges can you expect from this person? So for instance, from my personality type, if you were going to hire me and you ran me through the Enneagram, you would find out that at my best, I am compassionate, inspiring, direct, resilient, loyal, energetic, empowering, self-confident, and protective. But at my worst, I'm also loud, vengeful, excessive, controlling, rebellious, abrasive, insensitive, domineering, and self-centered. So if you know what someone is likely to be, just from a baseline personality, then it's much easier for you to figure out, is this person good for the role that I need them to play? And hiring for the role, not for the person, 
is so incredibly important because a lot of people interview well and, and you may like them on a human level, but they may not be a good fit for the role that you need them to play. So hiring for the role and not for the person, I think it's just incredibly essential. Whether you're doing Myers-Briggs or DISC or StrengthsFinder or Enneagram or fill in, you know, insert here, Culture Index is another great one uh, that we use pretty consistently. Whatever you're doing, when you're building out your org chart, your right people, right seats, make sure you're doing some sort of pre-employment assessment because as a new agency owner, on the independent side especially, there is almost nothing more dangerous than making a really bad hire early in your indie career. So anything we can do to help you avoid the bad hire, I think is critical. So moving now to the final thing we're going to talk about in this episode. Very specifically, five actions you must complete before taking your freedom jump. I'm just going to run through these real quick and we're going to unpack these at a, at a later date in more detail. The first is determine your brand. One of the things that the captive world does for you, they do it very well for their own purposes, but uh, for you, it is completely um, non-productive. It is their brand. Because when you're a captive agent, you know, pick your captive flavor, Farmers, State Farm, Allstate, American Family, um, whatever. Uh, American National is another one. That captive company brand is your brand and your name is in small type under their logo and they are very large and they have billion dollar marketing budgets and they're on TV and radio and direct mail. Their brand is your brand. So when you are going into the independent side, figuring out ahead of time, what is your brand? What do you want to represent to the marketplace? That's just absolutely critical. Second is nail down your core tech stack. What does that look like? What do you absolutely have to have from a tech perspective as early as possible? What do you have to have to launch? In my opinion, there's really only three things. You need first a sales-focused website, a website that is based on creating meaningful interactions with your client, making it as fast and as easy as possible for them to quickly understand who you are and what you do, what your unique value offering is to the marketplace. And then make it very easy for them to give you their information and enter the sales cycle, which means you need to have some sort of intake process that is completely dialed in. For us, for Riskwell, uh, we are incredibly deep into our relationship with Advisor Evolved. They are our website provider. They also have Gravity Forms, which is our intake, our web form system. It is baked into our website with Advisor Evolved. Uh, I don't see me leaving them. Um, pretty much ever. Uh, they have been central to our success to this point. So shout out to Chris Landrell and his team at Advisor Evolved. Uh, I will put their information down in the, in the, the notes for this episode, which you can get uh, by uh, visiting riskwell.com slash podcast and signing up for our email list. The second is going to be the AMS, the agency management system. It's absolutely essential in my mind that you have that from the very beginning because managing your data, creating good data hygiene, good data integrity is going to be just critical for your long-term success. Because if your data is bad, then it's really hard to do anything correctly. For our office, we made a lot of, of demos. We talked to a lot of people and decided for us, now certs is the right fit. My office is about 70% commercial, about 30% personalized. For what I need, now certs has been fantastic. And I should say very clearly, I'm not getting paid by these people that I'm, I'm uh, talking about now. At some point, we will have sponsors. At some point, we will be getting some sort of, of commission or royalty or revenue. And we'll always disclose to you if, uh, if there's some sort of money changing hands. And so you can decide for yourself how biased I might be. And I'll make a commitment to you now in episode two that... Uh, I will be as unbiased as possible. If I love something, I'll tell you exactly why. And if I don't like something, I'll tell you exactly why. Uh, as we talked about in our first episode, you can always count on uh, Agency Freedom Podcast to be 100% authentic, sometimes to our own detriment. Uh, sometimes our uh, people might not like the way that I am sharing challenges about their platform. Um, but anyone who knows me uh, with these, these vendor partners knows exactly what you get with Jenkins. 
And when I like something that you do, I will sing your praises. And when I don't like something that your system does, uh, I will tell you. I'm not shy about that. And I think if I were a vendor, if I were the the leader of an AMS or a you know CRM, I would really appreciate having that type of candor from uh, a loyal subscriber. So, anyways, shout out to Nowserts, uh, to Peter and Jonathan and the team. Um, you guys are absolutely core to what we're doing at Riskwell, and uh, I don't see me ever leaving. So, the next and final is going to be your CRM, your client relationship manager. And anyone who follows me or knows me on social or has had a conversation uh, knows exactly what's about to come out of my mouth. Uh, I'm a big fan of better agency. Uh, I think there are there are a few good choices in the marketplace. Agency Zoom, Insured Mine. Uh, there are a lot of other more advanced, uh, more I should say not advanced, but more complex, more broad uh, platforms. The most obvious ones are Salesforce, Infusionsoft, and HubSpot. All of those require significant development and build out cost and time. Uh, Better Agency is done for you in a lot of ways. They are intuitive. They're innovative. Uh, They help me stay in front of our sales pipeline and our email automation and all of our communication that goes out to our prospects and clients. I'm a huge fan of Better Agency. Uh, These guys are innovative. They are forcing change on the industry. They're making a lot of very big vendors uncomfortable. And I don't mind calling them out because it's kind of public knowledge at this point. Um, But there was uh, a conversation between uh, Hawksoft and Better Agency where Hawksoft said, we're not going to work with you anymore. We're not going to integrate with your system anymore because Hawksoft sees Better Agency as a threat. Uh, They see Better Agency as uh, someone that's going to take market share away from Hawksoft, which I think is incredibly short-sighted. And I hope uh, Hawksoft reverses course and and has an abundance mindset. But that's just an aside to give you the idea of this is what Better Agency is doing in the marketplace. They are innovating at an extremely fast pace, and it's pretty exciting to be along for the ride. These guys are going to mess some things up. And I I say guys in a a gender-neutral sense. Uh, not uh, it's not just the guys. There's a, a few ladies at Better Agency that would be uh, saying, "Hello, um, we're here. Don't forget about us." Don't worry, I haven't. No worries. Uh, that's um, that's really it. Those three website, AMS, CRM. You got to have that in your tech stack. We ran out of time. I'm at an hour, so I'm going to just blaze through this. We'll talk about these at a later date. You got to have a business plan, a formal, structured business plan. You got to have a marketing plan. And be very, very specific about your marketing plan. Build out your perfect client profile, the avatar of your just perfect client. Who are they? What do they do? Where do they live? What do they, what do, they do for fun? Where do they go? Find out as much as you can. How old are they? You know, what, is, what are their preferences for communication? How do they want to do business with their insurance, their risk management person? And then the last one is create your 10 years from now org chart. And then work backwards to your ideal starting point for your version of right people, right seats. So um, that's really it for episode two. This was a ton of information. I'm sorry that uh, (laughs) we ran a little bit long. I don't know if I could have gotten this to you any more efficiently. So uh, that's it for episode two operations and starting to build your framework. So um, hit us up. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at risk well.com. You can always uh, visit the website. Uh, There's a a form there. Uh, And as I said at the beginning of the episode, if you like what you're hearing from Agency Freedom Podcast, I have three very simple requests. The first is subscribe. We need those subscriptions so we can drive the algorithm and have the organic reach be extended on all of these platforms so more people can find us easily. The second is if you like what you're hearing, leave us a review. Even if it's, you know, 30 or 40 words. Hey, this was cool. Jenkins gives me something I like. I, it doesn't have to be super detailed. The number of reviews helps these platforms recognize uh, that we have good traction and other people actually do read these reviews. It matters. And the third one, and this is really important. You know a captive agent. You, I know you do. If you're listening to this podcast, you're in the industry, you might still be a, a captive agent. There's a lot of captive agents that are going to be listening to this episode. If you are already on the independent side, share this podcast with someone in the captive world that needs to hear it because someone is sitting there 
disenfranchised, dissatisfied, disillusioned with their career, with their work life. They want to make the jump, but they don't know how. And we're going to help them make that jump. We are going to change lives with the content in this podcast. And that fires me up like nothing else. So that's it. Thanks for those three things. Thanks for listening as always. Please remember, ladies and gentlemen, this is Agency Freedom Podcast from captive to Andy to market domination. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial. But you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.